0: Later on this episode. I think the ability to not be scared to fail is one of the most important traits you can have. The only way you can fail, I mean, the only way you can get there is by failing.
1: Folks, I've got an incredibly exciting guest today. Uh, Someone that I, 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 because of a pandemic in geography... I, I've not had the opportunity to get to know on a really deep personal level, but I think today's gonna today's conversation with Mister Smash Steve Orozco, is gonna help to uh, tell his story a little bit more, build on the rapport that he and I have already had over the last few years, and I got to tell you this one is going to be special. It's gonna be action packed. Steve, uh, for, he's, he has his MBA. Grew up, born and grew up in Pennsylvania, got his MBA, former Wall Street broker, turned MMA fighter, turned MMA uh, and, and 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 gym owner, smash headquarters, and he is now running for Senate in Connecticut. My guy, Steve Orozco, welcome to the show.
0: Well, wow, thank you for having me. And I like the screen behind you. I love it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you love it. So- Yes, me <laughs> it, it, look it, you know first of all i think uh um people who know you on instagram know you have you have one of the most dynamic exciting uh elastic you know diverse accounts i've seen in a long time i mean you talk about uh practical things about life the way to live your life values uh you know you'' you're your, Family is like at the epicenter of the majority of what I see in terms of content, that and your mental and physical health. It's super exciting to watch your life unfold through your Instagram account. Share the account handle with our listeners. Uh, At
0: Steve Orozco. That's O-R-O-S-C-O.
1: Love it. And, and look, we're, we're pulling these images and all the other images we fluttered through to figure out what my background <laughs> screen was going to be from there. You know, I with every guest, Steve, that we host, we start with four simple questions. And I don't want to cheat the system because great systems ran by great people create great outcomes. And so the first of the four questions is what is your favorite color?
0: Oh, man, it was always it was always red, red. Love it.
1: What's your favorite afternoon snack?
0: Well, I only eat one meal a day, so I don't have an afternoon snack.
1: (laughs) When you go, when you pull him up online, you will understand how true that last comment is. Uh, Favorite childhood superhero.
0: Superhero Hulk.
1: Oh, that's end. right. And, and hey, that, that was a part of your name when you were fighting actively, right? What Absolutely. was the name?
0: Yeah, it was Hulk smash. I love it. And you fought at what? At about a buck 70? Uh, actually 155. I oh, my weight. goodness. Yeah. I would cut down from like 185 to get to that weight. And it was misery. Yeah. I did fight at 170 twice. And uh, I just I didn't feel as prepared at 170. Like I feel like that. That arduous battle of cutting weight to the point where you feel like you're going to die really prepares you mentally for battle compared to fighting a 170. You didn't have to cut as much weight. I didn't just I didn't feel as mentally prepared.
1: Yeah. That, so that, that completely makes sense. Right. Um, yeah. Last question. So I find that most people have like kind of like a go to jam or a go to artist or a go to record. In terms of music, when they're trying to get excited, calm down, de-stress, chill, relax, enjoy company with others. Uh, what is either your favorite artist or your favorite song and why? Oh, my favorite artist. I would say right now, this artist,
0: NF, really hits hard for me. He has this one song called Paid My, Paid my Dues. When that song, com- song comes on, I want to run through a brick wall. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, so Steve is uh, married to Janine. Incredible story. I followed it via Instagram back way back in the day when they tied the knot. Uh, you could see a lot of that there. And has uh, an incredible sixteen-year-old daughter named Peyton, eight-year-old son named Jackson. How much are the children a reflection of you and Janine? Everything.
0: Everything. Yeah. And not to like single out my son, but I think my son is like literally a splitting image of both of us. He's so empathetic and gentle, like my wife and nurturing. But man, like when I train him or when he's on the soccer field or the wrestling mat, he is so competitive. It is incredible. There's certain things you can't teach. Like he was born with, even like with education. Here's a real quick one. He has, he's only in second grade. Every month he gets this like calendar with 30 squares. He has to do a homework assignment every day. So this last month he was sick. We missed four assignments and he did not want to bring it to school. He said, I'm not bringing school unless it's all completed. So we literally the next morning had to bring him to school late so we could finish those four boxes, you know, and that's, you know, most kids would have been like, who cares? Let's just bring
1: it in. That's right. and And I love that. Love that. Yeah, that's incredible. That's awesome. Um, I, you know, with our own uh, children, Ava and Atlas, who are 14 and 12. Uh, yeah, they're an absolute reflection of Samantha and myself and, and, and thankfully much more Samantha uh, and, and, <laughs> and that makes them pretty special kids. Thanks for sharing that. So talk, talk to me about, you know, I want to, I want to really focus on three buckets that I've had in my mind's eye when I kind of looked at your story and look back beyond even when we first met, but but I I see I see some really hard pivots in your the vision for your professional life and your aspirations. So I want to focus on that. Secondly, I want to focus on where this just like insatiable like insatiable like the commitment to grind. And to like just attack everything that you touch. You know, you talked about how uh, you know, you just have a really hard time sitting on the sidelines. I want right. to talk about where that inner drive and and, and 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 that grit and that commitment to the hard work comes from. And lastly, I really want to focus on today and your vision moving forward. You know, I it, super excited to hear that you're running for office in Connecticut. And I really want to hear about that story and 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 see if we can dive deep into that. How do you feel about those three buckets for today? I'm good. All three of them. Well, let's go back to the beginning because you grew up wrestling.
0: That's it. You That's know, you grew, you grew
1: up. Yeah. T- tell me about that and tell me how you how you ended up in Wall Street.
0: Yeah, you know, <laughs> Wall Street's a funny story, but <laughs> I always say wrestling built me. I think wrestling is the single most important sport, any boy or girl can do because it's one-on-one, you're accountable, you're responsible. The more work you put in, um, the better the outcome. And again, not everyone is passionate about wrestling. I was fortunate to find wrestling and absolutely love it at an early age. I was so committed to the grind and the process that it just, it just propelled me for every other aspect of life. So now everything that I do, I want to do at the highest level and literally be the best at it. Otherwise I don't even want to do it in the
1: first place. I'd rather not. Where do you think that, um, well, first of all, that's extremely evident even in, in, in from a public facing perspective and the things that we see you pursuing and achieving on a consistent basis. Right. So hats off to you because I think a lot of times Samantha and I, uh, you know, my spouse, we talk about, um, um, how, how sometimes we're not as authentic with what we say versus what we do. Absolutely. And, and that happens to all of us, right? We're all living an imperfect life. But, but I do see that about you. Where do you think that commitment to the grind and that need for achievement originated from in you?
0: Yeah, that is definitely wrestling. I think the ability to not be scared to fail is one of the most important traits you can have. And the only way you can fail, I mean, the only way you can get there is by failing. And wrestling is that one sport that constantly it humbles you and it hurts your feelings. Like you literally put your soul on that mat week in and week out. And to go out there and lose to another human, um, it it's hard. And then the next day you got to get right back on the mat and do it again and do it again and do it again. And uh my freshman year in high school, I think is what propelled me in the first sure. place because. Our, our wrestling team, we weren't that good, but we had incredible lightweight guys. We had a kid at 119 who was returning winner up at States. And the kid who was at 103 was um, an all-state wrestler too. Now, I only weighed 95 pounds as a freshman. So I was forced to wrestle at 112. I got my ass whooped the entire season. I went like 2 and 17 or something like that. So for me, it was losing week after week after week. Going into practice, getting my a- beat by the guy above me and below me. So I think that just the fact that I never quit and I kept on driving because I love the sport so much kind of catapulted me to where my mindset is today. Say If it was any other sport, I don't know if I would have felt the same way, but something about wrestling just it really fed my soul and it still does.
1: Yeah, I, I've uh, and 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 thank you for sharing that. I've I've heard I've had friends that I grew up uh, with that were you know pretty accomplished wrestlers uh, who would say you know this is the one sport when when you hit the showers and you look at yourself in the mirror, it's like man, I either did the work or I didn't do the work, yeah. and that's it. There's nowhere to point a finger at, and and uh, you know he would always speak about how humbling that was but you know his his just his just his his aspiration to be great is what you know just kept him coming back and putting in the work yeah and listen there's so many times where you literally have
0: given everything you could possibly do during the week to prepare for your match train two three times a day or diet everything but that night you might still lose you know the yes. other guy might have a better night, and you're like, "Oh my God, I did everything I should, I, I was supposed to do, and I still lost." And to be able to come back from that, um, I think it, it's a certain drive in somebody because some people will crack and they're like, "Oh, this isn't for me."
1: So we, um, so so not just in sports but also in business, we've yeah. often talked about it as resiliency or that bounce back ability. You know how quickly. Do you uh, get past a moment of failure or adversity and get back to what you said you were committed to doing and achieving? Where do you think you got that from? Who in your life as you were growing up, did you observe, kind of demonstrate that mindset and that consistent behavior?
0: Honestly, (laughs) yeah, I feel like I taught it myself, but uh, my mom is my hero. My parents got divorced when I was 12. And I also had a a sister who was only two, you know, and my father moved to the next state to, to help take care of his parents who were older. And, uh, during that time, man, like I watched my mom struggle with, you know, working, she went back to school, she got her bachelor's, but she studied so hard that she got into Yale. So she, so she got into Yale at, I don't know, must've been 40 years old. So my senior year of high school, she moved to Connecticut to go to Yale and I had to stay in Rhode Island to finish my senior year and I watched her literally crying at the dining table with uh, oh my god uh, organic chemistry 1 and organic chem 2 I remember those days and she was like I can't do it I can't do it and this is a single mom having to take care of two kids and and she did it and she went to Yale and she lives in California has an incredible job and she definitely my hero of if if you want it bad enough you can do it and you'll find the time that's awesome.
1: What a great story. And I appreciate you sharing that. Um, what's your mother's name? Uh, Heather. Heather.
0: You know, I think my, you know, my mother's not taking anything away from my father's side of the family. My father's yeah. side first generation Trinidad. So immigrant, hardworking, yeah. but my mother's side was all about striving and greatness and education. My mom went to Yale. Um, My grandfather went to Babson, which is one of the top business schools in the country. My great grandfather went to MIT. So education was very, very important in my household.
1: So choosing uh, uh, to study finance at Pace, is that what got you onto Wall Street? I mean, talk to me about that decision-making process, like what was going on? How did you decide that's what you were going to do, especially because you had a relatively decorated high school wrestling career?
0: You know, this is one thing that was just an accident. And this is why I didn't stay on Wall Street. It wasn't for me. I truly feel when you're in high school, you really don't know what you want to do. My senior year, um, I t- it was uh, I took an American experience class. Now, just ironically, we did this thing called the Wall Street game. I'm sorry, the stock market game, where they took like, it was, I don't know, they they broke the class up into teams. And then the winner of of the class would go against all the other people within the states. So I loved it. I got addicted to reading ticker symbols and, and figuring things out. I literally, I won my class. I placed top in the state. And then I saw the movie Boiler Room in high school. And I said, that's what I want to do. I'm good at stocks for some reason. And, um, boil room is awesome. I'm just going to go to, I'm just going to be a a wall street guy. So then when I picked my school, I said, where's the closest college to wall street? And it was Pace university, six blocks away. (laughs) So that's what got me there in the first place. And again, like everything that I do, I really strive for the top. So, uh, I, I really worked hard. I did it for about four years and then that wasn't for me. And that's why I went back to school.
1: That's awesome. And so you went back to school and you pursued what degrees? Can you share that with us?
0: Yeah, I, get it. I did a double master's. It's uh, a master's of science management and
1: a master's of business. So an MSM and an MBA. And what, what inspired you to do that other than the fact that you just have this consistent track record of overachieving? Yeah, no. I, I realized Wall Street wasn't going to be my future
0: or finance. So I had gotten recruited by a firm called Barnum Financial Group in Connecticut. So it brought me out to Connecticut. And while I was there, I just kind of fell out of love with the whole industry. I was working for a paycheck, you know, and it just wasn't it wasn't who I was. It didn't feed my soul. And at the time, I uh, said, oh, let's go back to school, you know, and kind of figure it out. And that's why I went back and I actually lied my way into grad school because it was actually an executive MBA program where I need like three years of upper level managerial experience. And here is me, 23 years old. And I had a friend who owned all this video store chains here in Connecticut and he lied and said I was his, his GM for three years. So I got in and the funniest part about the story was, I walk in this room, everyone is like 40 plus. And it's just me, this 23 year old guy, and the first day there, they went around the room. You had to like do this little mini presentation about yourself on the spot. Nobody wanted me on their team because there's one of those programs where they break you up into cohorts. Sure. The team building was the new paradigm. Yeah. And uh, no one wanted to be on my team <laughs> until I had my first real presentation. And everyone was like, wow, we want you. <laughs> so like that's it. So the beautiful thing about all this is I learned so much in my MBA because I was surrounded by people that were in business for, you know, 15, 20, 30 years at a higher level. And you learn so much more from people than you actually do from a textbook, as you know. And I think that was the most important part of my education.
1: Yeah. You know, one thing that I've noticed about uh, as I followed you along some of your life's path is, I mean, you are consistently surrounded by high achievers and high performers. Um, not, not just in my personal life, but at the firm and on behalf of the people that we serve and lead here in the great state of Michigan, in the Midwest, we always, we consistently remind uh, our teammates like, hey, you got to audit your circles personally and professionally, Absolutely. right? Like, you know, birds of a feather flock together could never be more true. I mean, people right. kind of chuckle at it. But it's a real thing. Right. And and so speak to us, share with us kind of the approach that you've taken to uh, auditing your circles, if you will, and and determining, hey, is this a person that has a place in my life? And am I willing to give some of my time to have a place in theirs?
0: Yeah, you know, it's really hard because you really have to feed through the sea of snakes and people who aren't authentic and genuine especially when i lived in california for 10 years man half of that time was in los angeles and when you start an entertainment company like my like smash global mma everyone wants free this and free that and help me here and help me there introduce me to this person introduce me to that person you realize how selfish people are and you really find out who the real ones are and like you said I personally try to surround myself with the highest level possible. Can't be an asshole though. I always say, this is my term, humble savages. You got to be humble and you got to be a savage at the same time. So, you know, for example, a Rod's become a good friend of mine. He's a humble savage. Michael Hearn, the fitness influencer, humble savage. Shane Mosley, boxing legend. Dude, the most humble person you'll ever meet. Absolute savage when that bell rings. And those are the people that I like to surround myself with. I'm not into the, the cocky and the narcissist and me, me, me person. I want the person who is at the very top, but very caring, empathetic to others.
1: What are some of the, uh, you know, I, I, I genuinely believe that some of the greatest things that have been achieved by humanity are a reflection of collaboration, inclusive, inclusion, and teamwork. Yes, collaboration, absolutely. inclusion, and teamwork, right? What are some of the characteristics or um, some of the traits that you might be looking for in people that help you understand is this person in or outside of my inner circle?
0: Tough question. I'll tell you what, I always look for people that are higher at a higher level than myself. Okay. For example, I, I train super hard. So I try to find people that can train, that train harder than me or different. That's why I like to use Michael Hearn as a great example, because we train completely different. He's about lifting heavy and about, um, you know, muscle size and bone density. And I'm all about the heart condition. So I will outwork anybody in the gym, period. Anyone, anyone's watching, talking to you. But (laughs) when we go into the gym and I train with him when I'm in California, we're benching and doing the leg press machine, I am dead because I don't train like that. So I try to find people that have been much more successful in different areas than myself. Awesome. I think that's really important. So again, for that reason, you have to really humble yourself to walk through the door and be like, all right, this person at a higher level than me, I just got to catch up.
1: Yeah, that's great. So, so always looking for who's, who is the rising tide, right? I mean, they, 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 they uh, you know, I think Kennedy, President Kennedy is the one who said it. Yeah, I think it is, you know, uh, the rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah, And so, you know, it sounds like that's extremely appropriate in the way that you're selecting the mentors and the, the friends and the people that you become close with around you, people who are actually elevating the tide for others.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, I've been around plenty of people that I would have liked to be a mentor of mine or that would like to be in my circle, but I just didn't connect with them. We didn't have the same personality. You know, maybe they were too tyrant-esque or narcissistic or cocky. And I just don't vibe with that personality. I'm a very, I don't know, heart on your sleeve kind of guy. Like I genuinely want to help you, you know, because at the end of the day, like you're successful, I'm successful. The amount of hours that have been given to us for free by other people should be given back to others. You know, So I look for those people. It's really important. I have thousands of hours of, of coaches that have given me their time. It's my responsibility to give that back.
1: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, um, That immediately makes me think of uh better understanding the vision and the ambition and desire you have for running for public office. Can we pivot to that? Absolutely. Instead of waiting until the end. I mean, when I hear you say that, I mean, I just I just think of that, 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 that concept of always pouring water into the well that you're taking from, right? If you get the privilege and benefit to drink from it, you know, you know, sometimes you've got to be the one putting the water in for others. Speak to us, share with us where, where like the, the vision and, 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 and the appetite and desire to go into public office came from.
0: You know, so I was approached last year to run for alderman. And if people don't know what that is, Alderman is basically the mayor of your ward or your district. Yes. So in Haven, there's 32 wards. So my ward, especially, we're having some going into their seventh term. They're like, hey, we got to get him out. Would you be willing to run? Now, this is about 60 days before election. So I didn't really have a campaign. I had just had Achilles surgery a month prior. So I'm on a knee scooter right? so I had 30 days to campaign I'm on a knee scooter and then I'm on a, an ankle boot I'm knocking on doors and I was pleasantly surprised at how how open people were and how every single person regardless of party affiliation had the same issues So right. long story short I lost by 200 votes and I only had 30 days which means I would have won if I had more time I'm glad I didn't because now I'm here so, Fast forward to to this year, I was asked again by the by Nick ah, Ben Proto, who is the chairman of the RNC here in Connecticut. He said, "Hey, Steve, we're looking for someone to run in New Haven now. New Haven, where I am, is like literally owned by Yale. So you can imagine we're the most liberal part of the entire state. I think we're outnumbered fourteen to one, Democrat versus Republican. Now, I am a Republican. Now was a lifelong Democrat up until this last election. I'm just have become more conservative with age. The right just aligns a little more with my values right now at this stage of my life. And we sat we sat at lunch and he said, Would you like to run for a Senate or a state rep? And I'm looking and I go home, I'm looking at the the two options. I'm like, dude, this guy who's the Senate Senator has been in his seat for 15 terms, 30 years. And he was a state legislator in 81 when I was only one year old. He's also the president pro temp of the Senate in Connecticut, which is like the most powerful man in all of the Senate in Connecticut. I said, I want him. <laughs> if I'm going to go after this, I want to go after the hard battle. And uh, so I took it on and I'm, I, don't, I enjoy it again. It, if it was really easy, it, I don't know what it is about the battle, because when things are too easy, unfortunately, I do get complacent. It's like my sure. Achilles heel. I need to always feel some sort of struggle. And uh, so this seems like such an uphill battle that would be fun, you know, because win or lose, it's going to it's going to be a good experience because I am going to run for president. I promise you guys.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So tell me a little bit, though, about uh, any any meaningful lessons learned very early on in your political career. Are there one or two that stand out that you've been like, man, I would not have expected this or wow, I can't believe how wrong I was.
0: I definitely didn't. So most
1: people don't realize
0: how their state is actually run until they do the research. And our state, for example, my district, we haven't had a Republican mayor since 1953. Wow. All our aldermen are Democrat, not a single Republican. Um, We haven't, like I said, Martin Looney's been in his seat since 1993. And I'm like, everyone complains about New Haven. Everyone complains about Connecticut, but everyone keeps voting blue. And it's hard for me to understand why people won't just take a risk and just vote a different color, vote a different candidate. And if you don't like them after two years, vote him out. But people get in this vicious cycle of just voting the same way and then nothing changes. And I have a hard time understanding that. And I'm really learning a lot about it because, like, you know, like I said, everyone has the same issues. You know, public safety, education, taxes. Doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat. Those are what you
1: care about. That's right. What what do you think is there is there a unique value proposition to those living in Connecticut that you represent by having grown up a democrat and and going through life and as, you know, the priorities in your life have uh, adjusted, you've realized that you align more with the Republican side. Is there a benefit and value to those that you would serve that that's been the life you've had and the perspective you've had?
0: You know, I think people have people have this stereotype of what a Republican is. Unfortunately, it's like the so old rich white guy. That's literally what it is, you know, and and honestly, I and I've and I've said this and I've spoke at um, at Republican conventions and, and meetings. The problem with our party is we haven't been inclusive. You know, we're not racist. We're not misogynist, yeah. but yeah. I don't, you don't see a lot of minorities and women, elevating women to high places, the LGBTQ community. There's a lot of millennials. Republicans are so just focused on legislative issues that they always oh, say this, they fail to remember that a big portion of our country cares more about social issues. So until they can kind of gravitate a little more to the center, they're never going to win again, in my opinion. And, and there's a problem. You know, I went, I went to a, I had a dinner, it's called state central. They have it once a month where it's all the, all the, the, uh, the candidates and other politicians in the state, they come for one meeting and I'm looking around the room and I don't throw the race card. I'm not that guy, but I still notice color because I am a man of color and I'm looking around the room there are seven tables of 10 plus other staff. So 75 people. Can you tell me how many minorities were at sitting at those tables?
1: Less than five.
0: Yeah, no, one. And it was me. And I'm like, th- this is the problem with the party. And this is why like, we haven't evolved and it's not okay. Like the guy who's running for governor now, an incredible human. I've met him so nice. He's just another old rich white guy who's spending 10 million of his own dollars to campaign like at some point, you need to understand like relatability is extremely important. So that's what I'm getting at. Is I just feel like I'm the most relatable person that Republican Party has ever seen when it comes to everyone.
1: It, let's 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 hammer that concept. I've heard about the power of relatability before from other guests we've had. I, explain the power of re- relatability and the benefit of that from your perspective.
0: Because Unfortunately, people have a hard time putting the shoe on the other foot and understanding someone or something if they've never been there. For example, I had a meeting the other day with a family who they lost their son in 2018 from a fentanyl overdose. And and they're like, listen, we're trying to get this on the floor of of the house and this and that. And no one wants to hear us. But guess what? If any of those people on the floor, these politicians lost their son or lost their kid to fentanyl, they would be taking that piece of legislation and pushing it through. But people don't—they don't have empathy. They don't know how to relate when it, when it doesn't happen to them, and that's so unfortunate. It drives me crazy.
1: Yeah, I um, I really enjoyed hearing that explanation. Samantha consistently will um, not insert herself, but when she sees there's an opportunity to improve an environment or an outcome for another unrelated human being. Mm. And she thinks she can be the difference maker, the game changer. She does it. (laughs) She does it. She picks up the phone. She shows up at a school. She contacts a family, a nonprofit. And I'm consistently blown away at the desire to just say, or to accept the fact that, well, if not me, then who?
0: Yeah, absolutely. right. And
1: I think there's something about that mindset that I'm hearing a little bit from you in your some of the decisions you've made to just say, well, well, why not me? Can you absolutely. share a little bit about that if that if that if that resonates for you? I
0: mean, I you figure, you know, my mother's white. She came from, I guess, higher class society. They're all educated. My father, an immigrant from Trinidad, so I'm half black, I'm half white. I'm educated. I have a family. I've worked on Wall Street. I. You know, I fought in a cage. I'm I'm constantly following the American dream. I just feel like there's not a single person on the planet that I don't relate to. You know, unless unless you're like that far right and far left, different story. But at the end of the day, 80% of us that are rational in the middle, I I feel like I do relate to whether you're a Democrat or Republican. At the end of the day, I know I'm a Republican and I don't they don't like me saying this, but we're all centrists, but we lean left and right depending on an issue. Like you could. I don't know. You could be a Democrat and be pro-life. You could be Republican and be pro-choice. You know, you could be a Republican, you could be a, Re- a Democrat and have been against Colin Kaepernick kneeling. You could have been a Republican and been he's exercising his freedom of speech. Good for him. Like mm-hmm. every issue is different. And the fact that we have to just pick one side doesn't make any sense at all. And again, so now I don't even look at it like a party system. It's more liberal and conservative, and you know, like, yeah, as I get old, let's get more conservative. And I just raise my son in that light. And how I want to raise my son is exactly how I want to also vote.
1: Yeah, that's great. Um, I, I've, I've, I've had people in my life who say, you know, I vote based on the change I think that's required to mm-hmm. ensure that 30 to 50 years from now, when my children are adults like me, yep. they have a better place to live. Absolutely. Right. And, uh, and I do see that in, in many people that I'm close to that, you know, I'm, I'm surprised by, by what they're advocating for based on their personal life. Yep. And it's like, it's not about me. It's about where the puck's going for our children. Absolutely. And I just think that's such a powerful, humble, selfless, abundant way of looking at life. Absolutely agree with you. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so I, I want to come back now to the middle topic. You know, I, you know, I just have observed this consistency in just massive vision, big dreamer, big thinker, big doer, you know, it's one thing to dream. It's another thing to actually do the work uh, in the middle of the pandemic, you open up a gym. Tell us that story.
0: Yeah. So actually, well, I was also a first grade teacher for a year. <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, cause you know, cause when school was shut down, You know, my son was homeschooled. Now, my wife works um, and she wasn't shut down. So I was forced to be a first grade teacher. And I'll tell you what, probably the best experience of my life and definitely a a defining moment that's made me want to run for politics that much more. Yes. The first couple of weeks, I'll be honest with you, I hated it. Learning that the level of patience and like teaching them how to add and write. And you realize how hard that is because it's so simple for you but so hard for them, you know? And he went from, he getting twos and threes to first grade. He got all fours, all fours just because he just understood it more. It's like, it's like taking a boxing class or having a personal trainer teaching you boxing. The difference is night and day. So uh, I fell in love with it. I became so emotionally invested and not to go on a tangent, but when I start when I opened this gym and running for office. The hardest thing for me was going back to work, leaving my kid. I felt like a mom, like I'm like, I know what moms go through. Yes. this is why they want to go back to work. Like you're leaving your kid for the first time because we were attached at the hip for well, almost 18 months.
1: Well, and, well, uh, and, and going back to work outside the home, right? Because you would yeah. agree that that work inside of the home is many times more difficult or complex than even the stuff we we deal with you know in, in a professional office setting or wherever we work professionally
0: no but my entrepreneurial friends like me saying this but mother motherhood is much harder than being an entrepreneur I don't care what anyone says yeah I <laughs> think c- 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 like when, c- c- when you're an entrepreneur you actually have the drive and you love the grind so much Is different you know so I think being an entrepreneur is a little bit easier
1: <laughs> well there there's um my, my, my impression has been, especially when the pandemic for city or Michigan, though, um, you know, you hit on it in terms of the patience. Mm-hmm. And I would also add the selflessness Absolutely. that you have to demonstrate consistently yep. so that the child is nurtured properly and in a healthy environment to still be a child.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, again, sorry to go on a tangent right there. No, that's OK. Yeah, so I had when I when we move back to Connecticut, um, power of Instagram. Here we go. The owner of a gym is called RAC, um, R-A-C-C Training Center. And it was in Milford, Connecticut. He reached out to me and said, hey, Steve, I'd love you to come and train. Let me train you a little bit. I went down there and man, this guy pulled me through such a workout. And I was so blown away of his knowledge. And we just really started synergizing. And it came to the point where he was like, hey, Steve, and I would really love to have a partner, you know, because he's also a full-time firefighter. So his schedule was so lopsided. It was hard for him to retain clients because, you know, this week it's Monday and Tuesday. Next week it's Thursday and Sunday. So how do you retain clients when your schedule completely changes all the time? And it was run more like a private training studio, 5,000 square feet. He'd have classes like CrossFit and train people. And I said, I'd love to. And that just turned into, yo, let's just go all the out. (laughs) You know, so became a partner. Remodeled the whole thing. We changed the name. I started a corporation, Smash HQ Corp, which now we put Smash MMA under it. And uh, now I'm trying to build the whole ecosystem. So I dissolved the Smash Global LLC. And uh, I'm having my next show, actually, May 19th in Los Angeles. Finally, now that all the mandates have been lifted.
1: May 19th in LA. Yep.
0: So it's funny, You you talk about your circle and your network. This is going to be the show where I really find out who my real friends yeah, supporters are because it's been two years. I'm kind of doubling this show as um, obviously my event to make money, but also as part of my campaign because I have the red carpet, so many celebrities I can really have maximum exposure, you know? So, you know, when you have, and you know how like fundraising events are and political campaigns where it's, you know, five ten thousand dollars to go, I'm going to charge like a thousand dollars. And I'm going to see how many of my wealthy friends, successful friends. Yeah. It, pitch in that grand to come support me. And then I'm going to really know who they are.
1: <laughs> You'll have to uh, either through myself or Alex, just drop us a note on that information. If we can be an advocate to to promote that for you and obviously participate and attend, We'd we'd love to do that. I love to. And uh, so, I don't know if you know, I also have a nonprofit. <laughs> Another, thing I I'm do. Gonna... I, I don't think you remember. So, three years ago when we first connected, it's when I was trying to expand what we were doing on a charitable basis nationally. Oh, that's and, right. And, yeah, and, yeah. yeah. And it's when I saw right. you marketing and promoting, kind of telling that story that I was like, you know, we have clients all over the country, even though we're based in the Midwest, our reach to humanity and in serving individuals yeah. around their you know, financial priorities is national. And I'm yep. like, we're we're out in LA, we're out in, in Washington, we're out in, in San Fran and San Diego from time to time. Why are we not reaching out to orgs out there? And that's when you and I first had our first conference call. But that's tell right. us about that because it's a great story. Yeah,
0: so uh, Smash for Troops, it's like creating a pathway of success for veterans who have PTSD. You know, most of these veterans, they come back from war and they really don't have the tools To become entrepreneurs because that's not what they were taught. And they also come back suffering from PTSD, so they need outlets. So I was a part of a program called Merging Veterans and Players in Los Angeles, Jay Glazier and Nate Boyer, Mm. where they'd have this boot camp class. And in this class, they would take professional athletes and celebrities and match them up with veterans with PTSD. And when after you're done with the hour training session, you'd all sit down on the turf and have a powwow and share stories. And the commonalities of brotherhood between athletes and military is, is, is like this. And I, and I loved everything about it. So I ended up starting my own nonprofit as well, which I'm going to bring, obviously, here to Connecticut, which I'm going to do the same exact model at Smash HQ.
1: And so what is the event for people out in the L.A. market? And we have Reach Out there on May 19th. Is it open or is it, is it invite only?
0: No, it's open. So you go to my website, smashglobal.com. You you can buy tickets. So what I am going to do too. So my friends will have an excuse. (laughs) Those who buy tickets and can't attend, I'm going to take those tickets and donate them to veterans with PTSD who normally obviously couldn't afford
1: a ticket at that price point. And uh, hopefully it works out well. That's great. That's a great organization. I appreciate you sharing that story. It's exciting to hear that you're going to take it to the East Coast as well with you. Where you and Janine are now, you know, raising your children, your family and serving the community there. What do you think is the next chapter after your time in political office? I find that most high achievers, high performers, they you know, they're like chess players. They they already can see 3 to 5 moves down the field or down the chessboard talk to me about that. Is there something else that's on your list of things that you'd want to do and achieve? I have a few
0: bucket list items. Um, as far as like things that are um, very attainable now, I do want my PhD. I can't help myself. I'm like, I already got two masters. I need my PhD. I'm Love getting it at some point. And that's something you can do when you're 50. If you wanted to, that's one, two, I need to do an iron man. I need to complete a full Ironman top to bottom in Hawaii or wherever it is. So those two are easily attainable. Just putting it's just putting in the time. And then as far as politics, governor, president. I'm I'm not kidding. I will run for president. I promise. I have it in my head 2032. I keep on saying it. So we'll see what happens.
1: (laughs) I love it. Talk to me about best piece of advice you've ever received. And who was that from?
0: Hmm. Let me think about that.
1: Oh, that's a tough one.
0: I mean, I get—I get so many pieces. I get so many tidbits, Um, but I always say, like, you only—you only earn what you only deserve. What you earn, you know. And the 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 more you try to earn, the more you deserve. And that's a problem with today's society. It's like this entitlement. No, I'm sorry. Entitlement, participation, trophy, um, America, and it drives me crazy because I don't believe in that at all. What they're doing to like kind of um, make society mediocre and not strive for greatness is is something I don't like and actually with that said now that I'm now that I'm talking um, that whole quote I think I think Jordan Peterson said it about um be a monster and then yeah. learn how to control it yeah. that literally is probably the one that gives me goosebumps every time I hear it because it's really the truth like everyone should be a monster and just learn how to control it
1: yeah. I love it when he, when he speaks Almost about, the, I, I love it when he speaks about, I follow him as well. Uh, relentlessly. And yeah. He, he, he communicates about, you know, being the gardener or the, you know, the, the warrior.
0: Yeah, better to be a warrior in the garden than a garden, than a gardener in a war. That's
1: right. That's, the That's one. right. Super powerful. Right. Oh my God. Uh, so, sure. so we we find that a lot of young professionals follow our podcast, and listen in. What is the one piece of advice you'd want to give them as we get ready to wrap up here in the last two minutes?
0: Entrepreneurs, man, you cannot give up. This is the, this is a great quote. I love saying this one. Hard roads become easy. Easy roads become hard. You choose your hard. And I'll always take the hard road first at all costs. Most people don't want that. People want to be in their comfort zone they want it nice and easy, but guess what? The easy role is going to become hard one day and then you're going to struggle and you might, you might break and quit, but if you start hard, it's only going to get easier. And that's just a fact.
1: That's awesome. Steve, look, I've, uh, absolutely enjoyed reconnecting today. Loved hearing more of your story and, and we're excited to share this with others, uh, over time. Uh, Multiple educational degrees. Wall Street broker, MMA fighter, serial entrepreneur, really, right? Charitable Foundation, Smash for Troops, website is smashglobal.com, run Smash HQ out in Connecticut, running for Senate out of New Haven, Connecticut, married to Janine, Peyton, Jackson, 16 and 8, First grade teacher is now on his resume, <laughs> Steve. I don't know what more you could do, but it sounds like you're going to do a lot more. Man, it was just it was a, a blessing and a privilege to be together, and I can't wait for us to connect again. Absolutely, I look forward to it. You're the man, man. Wishing you continued happiness, health, and success. All right, you too. Thank Thanks, you. Steve.